hello everybody out there. Hello friends. I hope everyone is keeping well, keeping safe and uh, having fun in this isolation period. It's been an interesting 2020 and it's absolutely fantastic to to get back on the horse and do another podcast. I've been a little bit rusty and a little bit away from the mic. Um, It's just just been focusing on myself so terribly sorry but I have to say that this uh, today's episode was definitely definitely worth the wait Uh, this is a big one I'm quite excited about this one to be honest with you so anyway so 800 kilometers off the east coast of New Zealand sits a small island called the Chatham Islands a small group of islands there which are home to one Maui Solomon Solomon terribly sorry brother Uh, And Maui Solomon is a man who, for the last few decades, has been fighting for the identity and legitimacy, not just for himself, uh, not for himself at all, actually, but uh, as an individual, but for a group of people for the better part of a couple of hundred years, um, were almost wiped off the face of the earth, physically and politically. Um, This is one hell of a story, and only just a number of few weeks ago, uh, we're in I don't know, July now, just a few weeks ago, I found out this incredible truth that, um, and this is not a conspiracy thing, this is this is legitimate, this is a legitimate thing, um, that the education that I learned about the history of New Zealand and the Pacific Islands surrounding New Zealand uh, completely changed, and um, quite recently for me, and so anyway, I'm really not going to hold this one up any further. Please uh, hang tight. This is a hell of an episode and a hell of a story. I, I thank you so much, Maui, for jumping on the show and um, doing this interview with me and, and taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule. I genuinely thank you. Cannot thank you enough. And, and it, I'm so eternally grateful. And plus, um, a little bit of context at the start of it as well. My grandmother back in the 60s was his primary school teacher, which is just incredible. Um, and so we have we have a little bit of a conversation about that uh, at the beginning and also and, and also at the end. Um, and without further ado, please here he is, Maui Solomon. Uh, Kia ora, hey, Maui Solomon speaking. Hey Maui, how are you? It's uh, Karen. It's Karen King here, calling from Adornera King. Yeah, how are you, Karen? Very good. It's uh, excellent to hear your voice and uh, and be chatting to you um, today. It's absolutely fantastic and exciting. Yeah, it was um, interesting that um, I'm sure your grandma would be quite uh, quite pleased that that we're having a chat. Um, considering she taught me way back at Tamuka Primary School, way back in the day. That's all right. It's pretty funny, isn't it? It's pretty ironic. <clears throat> and yeah. uh, and to, to think that would be uh, talking as well via computers <laughs> while I'm in Australia and uh, you are in the Chatham Islands. And uh, it's pretty pretty remarkable how yeah. far we've come as a, as a people, as a, as a race in the last oof, 50 years, 60, 70, oh, God, 50 years. So, yeah, yep, fifty years. That's right. Yeah, unreal. Um, so I guess a really good place to start uh, is 
why I guess uh, why I wanted to contact you and chat to you in the first place is um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, not too long ago um, about New Zealand culture and uh, Maori and uh, the European um, how they've gotten along and uh, versus other cultures around the world and then the Moriori culture came up in conversation and when I went to school uh, way back in the 90s and 80s that we were taught that the Moriori didn't exist anymore and then just a few days ago well, a couple of weeks ago I found out that that wasn't true so <laughs> how wrong am I and uh, how shocked I was and ashamed and all the, all the rest of it so and here I am talking to you. Mm. Yeah, well, it's a pretty common um, common belief held by New Zealanders that Moriori um, became extinct uh, when my grandfather, Tommy Solomon, died in 1933. But, of course, um, that wasn't the case. And um, <clears throat> there are all sorts of myths and misinformation deliberately uh, perpetrated and perpetuated through the generations about Moriori history um, for political reasons and, and reasons that justified colonisation. So um, Moriori for really the last hundred plus years have been um, both an inconvenient truth in New Zealand history and um, and really just a doormat for uh, both Pākehā and Māori, mm. and um, so it's really through the efforts of, of uh, descendants today and, and those that have recently passed on that we've, um, you know, we've staged a fairly significant revival and renaissance of our culture and identity over the last probably 40 years. Wow. So before, I think before we crack into that, uh, the really positive, uh, amazing stuff that you yourself and our constituents have been doing. And uh, so let's, I reckon, just go back a little bit and just sort of discuss that and who your uh, great grandfather was and, and the role and, and sort of what the identity and where the Moriori came from and uh, just a little bit of context into the situation to begin with, I think. Sure. Well, um, Tommy Tommy Solomon or Tommy Hurumurarehi is my grandfather, not my great grandfather. Yep, sorry. Um, and he, because my my father uh, was his eldest son, but my father has fifteen children, and I'm um, about number thirteen. Mm -hmm. So, hence why there's a relatively close gap between. Um, myself and, and my grandfather, given that he died in 1933 and I was born in 1960. So, you know, um, you can be forgiven for, for thinking that it might be my great-grandfather. I'm <laughs> terribly sorry, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so um, what uh, what would you like me to... To, to discuss specifically? Well, I suppose just a little bit of context uh, in the... Because a lot of people out there don't really know even the existence uh, outside of even being in New Zealand. A lot of people don't even know that there was uh, a third group of people out in 
in the New Zealand um, with between the Pakeha with the Europeans and the Maori and then the Moriori and people just don't even know that there was even a Moriori to begin with. Uh, needless to say, the 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 poor history that was you know that was manufactured um, afterwards. So yes, yeah. Well, look, the, the first and probably most important point uh, for me to make is that Moriori are the indigenous peoples of Rekuhu, Chatham Islands. Yes. That Moriori as a people, distinct identifiable people, were not in New Zealand and driven out to the Chathams by later migrants of Māori. That is a myth. Sure. That was... Um, promulgated by S. Percy Smith and Alston Best back in about 1911 and um, and was used to justify European colonisation of New Zealand if um, supposedly if Moriori were in Aotearoa New Zealand prior to Māori uh, and Māori drove them out to the Chathams then that would justify um, British and, and European people um, dispossessing Māori of their land. So um, it was a very convenient story that was manufactured to create uh, a justifi justification for uh, colonisation. Uh, and um, that then became taught in schools by... Um, in the New Zealand School Journals, 1916 was the first publication. So from then up until about 2010, so almost for 100 years, you had four to five generations of New Zealanders being taught that myth and also taught that Moriori were extinct. Mm. So it's not surprising that yourself and many others, and I would say probably 70, 80% of New Zealanders um, uh, still believe that Moriori uh, don't exist, despite our best efforts over the last 30 or 40 years to tell the correct version of the history. Yeah. Um, but it's taken five generations, uh, you know, five generations of New Zealanders have been brainwashed, so I would imagine it's going to take five generations to, to actually undo that damage that's been done. Yeah, it's just it's it's um, yeah, it's it's truly it's truly sickening to be honest. Like I I tried to put myself in in your shoes. I remember reading an article, I think it was by Stuff, one of the Stuff magazines, uh, when I found out. And I remember reading the article and I was like, "Oh, I put myself in your shoes and you were interviewed and one of the questions you were asked, or the one of the uh, points or statements you were making was that you had said to the teacher that your grandfather was a Moriori and then the teacher had said to you, don't be ridiculous, they're extinct. And I tried to put myself in your shoes and uh, my background and my European background being uh, Irish and uh, Welsh and English was, well, if one of those was extinct, well, I was told that one of those was extinct, but then my family was telling me otherwise. I, I just don't know who I would, how I would feel and I just... I really, uh, unfortunately, just 
I, I tried really hard to empathise and, and, and really feel what it would be like to be put in your shoes and, and uh, um, I, just, I just felt absolutely sick about it and just that's exactly why I wanted to reach out and contact you was just re-educate myself and whoever else is listening as well. It's just horrendous. Um, yeah, well, thanks for that, Kieran. Uh, yeah, if I cast my mind back to when I was at high school and, and I think it might have been the third or fourth form uh, at Tamuka High School mm-hmm. and um, it, it was certainly confusing but because I didn't know really much or anything other than we were Moriori, I didn't know what that meant Sure. because my father didn't know really what it meant and even Tommy didn't know what it it really, he, he was, he knew he was full-blooded Moriori, but culturally he was more Maori because by the time he was born in 1884, the culture had virtually been obliterated along with the people through a combination of genocide, disease, slavery, um, loss of land, you name it. And, um, and the final, you know, to, to add insult to injury, then having the very existence of Moriori questioned and, and suppressed. And, um, you know, I, I think to me that, that was the greater injustice mm. when I started at the age of 23, 24 to, to delve into my Moriori background um, and to learn that actually all these myths that had been taught about Moriori being weak, inferior, non-existent, etc., were false. And that that these were people who had settled these islands some 800-plus years ago, had been a warrior people, but had set aside killing warfare and cannibalism and had lived in peace for 600 years. That didn't tally with what was being taught at schools. Or, or the accepted narrative about Moriori being weak and inferior. And um, it occurred to me that if you have made a conscious decision to set aside uh, warfare and to live in peace and to share the resources of the land and sea, um, then you have, a, and you've lived like that for many centuries, then you have evolved a higher level of, consciousness on how human beings should live together with one another and with their natural environment. So I thought to myself, now hold on a minute, um, what's being taught is, is not only misinformed, there's some deliberateness here. Mm. And um, it was just the overwhelming sense of injustice that I felt on behalf of my ancestors that really was the catalyst for me to um, to get involved and, and try and help set the record straight. So it was just that that overwhelming sense of injustice I felt later, um, still at a young age, but um, how they'd suffered loss of life, liberty, language, land, and then to actually have their identity stolen from them uh, and then you know have generations of New Zealanders 
uh, taught these myths, to me that was the, the greater injustice of all. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I've, I've always been someone to fight for the underdog, to, um, you know, stand against injustice wherever I find it. And I certainly found, <laughs> found a huge injustice in, in terms of my own um, more to the ancestry. <laughs> so, oh, where do you begin? It's, it's, it's such a, like when you, the, the more I sit here and listen, the more you explain, it's just such a, seems like such a daunting, a daunting task to undertake to re-galvanise a culture of people that were just completely shunned aside. So getting to, I guess, the end of high school to towards your early 20s uh, and talking about the the catalyst for you, the injustices that were done, sort of at what point did you, did you ever feel like, oh, this is going to be just a, a little a mountain too high or did you feel like this, this absolutely has to be done and then what sort of steps did you take to, because there's, there, there isn't a rule book on this, is there? There isn't a, a, a book on uh, how to re-cement and legitimise your, your race. Well, you know, there wasn't a, a, a sort of a, a plan mapped out and, you know, a, a pathway forward that, that I could clearly see. Mm. Um, but there were a number of um, key events that, that marked that particular journey and, and um, the catalyst really for the whole Moriori Renaissance began with the... Um, Moriori documentary that was uh, featured my eldest sister Margaret and my brother Charles when they came down to their kohu in 1979 with um, television New Zealand or whatever the equivalent was back then and, and filmed this documentary it was kind of like a discovering your roots sure. and. Um, if you get the opportunity, I'm pretty sure you'll, you'll be able to find that documentary and, and, and online. It's called uh, It's Just Moriori, and, and the producer is the late Bill Saunders. Um, it's on NZ on screen. Oh, uh, nice. I'd suggest you actually recommend that you, you, you view that. I'll uh, definitely um, put the link that, into the description as well. So if, any, if there's anyone else out there that wants to watch the documentary and educate themselves, the, the link will be in the description yeah. if I can find it. So that was screened uh, on TV in 1980. And then we, the Solomon family, decided to have a, and that was my first year at university, actually, at Canterbury. Mm -hmm. I did a law degree. Um, and then... In 1980, December 83, January 84, we had a family reunion in Tamuka, and that's when we decided to put a statue up of our grandfather, um, Tommy Solomon, which is here at uh, Manukau, and that was unveiled in 1986, December 1986, by um, then Prime Minister David Longy. Um, and, and I was... Uh, appointed by the family and at that family reunion as the chairperson of the Tommy Solomon Memorial Trust Foundation, which was the organisation that um, was mandated to raise funds for that statue. 
and um, and it was kind of like became an evolving process, and then found out in 1987 um, that Taranaki tribes were claiming fishing resources under the Treaty of Waitangi around the Chathams. Mm -hmm. So that's when I filed in February 1988 a claim in the Waitangi Tribunal on behalf of Moriuri for our fishing rights because I'm I'm a lawyer by this stage um, working um, in uh, in Wellington and um, so you know I'd um, I'd, I'd learned a bit about Moriuri by this stage so it became then a, an evolving process and and there were a number of different iterations of Moriori organisations that supported the claim to the tribunal and the fishing claims, etc. And then, um, you know, right up to the present day where, you know, we have this beautiful marae down here and we've brought back our own land um, or, or parcels of land mm-hmm. and uh, we recently signed a deed of settlement with the Crown. So... You know, we're, you can say that over that last 30 or 40 years, we've, we're definitely back in the game and, and we've been um, done that pretty much on our own steam uh, with support along the way from a lot of people. And actually, I've got to say, a lot of Māori up in New Zealand have also supported, uh, and Pākehā, have supported the Moriori Renaissance. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a big... Um, big part of my life, but mm. um, it hasn't been the only part. <laughs> no, I bet. I bet there's. A, I bet it hasn't. You've uh, lived quite the life. I would. I would doubt that it would be the only part, especially coming from such a big family as well. I know I come from a well, relatively small compared to yours, but I still come from a big, a big family of four four kids, and I know that we had a pretty, uh, pretty interesting life, lively, lively upbringing, and. How long have you been in the chat? Maybe I could, maybe I could tell you a little bit about um, how Moriori settled uh, the Chatham Islands, or, or yeah, Kuku. I think that's a, that's a that's a great idea because I think there's a lot of people as well that don't realise that the Chatham Islands is actually part of New Zealand or even where the Chatham Islands are. Yeah. So that's a great idea. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, the, the Chatham Islands, or as it's known to um, my people, Kuku, Rekohu literally means to, to 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 view the sun through the mist. Kohu means mist, and uh, there's a lot of mist here on the island from time to time. So it's quite quite well named. So Moriori named these islands uh, Rekohu, or the main island, and then there's a, a smaller island just south and east called Rangihoti, and that's known as Pit Island. And uh, these islands are approximately 800 kilometres east of New Zealand. And so the, the closest point as the crow flies, as they say, is to um, uh, probably Mahia Peninsula on the east coast of the North Island. Um, and the, the earliest uh, settlers to arrive to these islands were from directly, according to our old traditions that have been passed down, came from um, central or eastern Polynesia. So they were Polynesians. Sure. Um, the, the founding ancestor is known by the name Rungomai Whenua, 
and he came with his younger brother, Ronga Maitidi, and, and a group of others, most likely from around uh, the area of Rarotonga, Tahiti, that, that part of the Pacific, mm-hmm. um, and settled here. And then Ronga Maitidi, the younger brother, he leaves and carries on to Aotea, which we think is Aotearoa. So then there was knowledge of how to find these islands from um, Aotearoa, uh, and there were later canoes that uh, came from mainland New Zealand to their kohu some six, seven hundred years ago. But they intermarried with the descendants of Rungumai Whenua um, and became the people we now know today as Moriori. Right. So um, whilst we have uh, some what we call hokopapa is, is our term for genealogy mm-hmm. in Māori it's known as whakapapa so while we have some hokopapa connections to Māori in New Zealand our tuakana or our senior line comes directly from Polynesia to these islands and what also needs to be appreciated is that hundreds of years ago back in those times Polynesians were the world's greatest navigators that the, the world had ever known and had settled over 35 or 30 million square miles of the Pacific Ocean um, over a period of three to 4,000 years. So travelling from the Pacific to New Zealand to the New Zealand to the Chathams and back again was no great feat. Um, they were doing this on a regular basis, and so there were voyages backwards and forwards. Um, and, you know, Polynesians had settled over 3,000 islands in, in the Pacific before, you know, Europeans in the Northern Hemisphere hadn't even left sight of land. So what was the... Um, going, so, going on to the navigation and over the last sort of few thousand years, what was some of the... Was there much... I'm not quite sure of the trade or what was some of the reasons for people leaving uh, their islands or travelling between islands, um, going from, you know, Chatham to Aotearoa, New Zealand, or uh, even the Cook, Tongan Islands, or what were some of the reasons that... Mm. Well, that's a good question, and I think in the... There were a combination of reasons. Um, I think trade would certainly be one. Yep. But in terms of permanent settlement, I mean, you don't uproot yourself from central Polynesia and end up on, you know, the Kuhu Chatham Islands um, to trade. You, you're coming, it's a planned settlement. Yeah. It's a planned migration. And, you know, what prompted migration um, and settlement of other islands is probably a combination of um, increasing population. Mm-hmm. It might be, you know, the... Um, the elder son has inherited all the father's land, so the younger one has to voyage out on his own, cut his own pathway in the world, yep. and go and find somewhere else to live and settle. Uh, there could be conflict um, that has driven that. All sorts of reasons why humans have, you know, settled different places around the planet um, over the last few hundred thousand years. But um, there was certainly trade. Uh, between here and um, and New Zealand mainland, you know, there, there's been obsidian uh, and adzes 
found here in archaeological sites that were uh, provenanced from New Zealand. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of um, movement between uh, the various islands. I sailed out. I was fortunate enough to sail on a traditional Māori wakahodua, double-hulled canoe wow. from uh, Napier in the North Island to uh, to Te Kohu in 2000 and early 2017. Wow. And that took us five days, um, and that was on a small, slower waka, but uh, the bigger ones you'd get here in two to three days. So that's, that's not, you know, with the right sort of winds and currents. So that's not a long time to be at sea between New Zealand and here. Um, and so it, it wasn't such a big deal travelling those vast distances no. um, by by canoe, and, and they had pretty sophisticated knowledge of, of navigation and the star patterns and the ocean currents and, and so forth and so on. So that's... Um, the ancestors arrived here. They they settled. They lived, um, uh, and and you know the population probably got up to three thousand plus people. Yep. Um, at its uh, height. Um, <clears throat> but by you know seventeen ninety one, when uh, Lieutenant Broughton um, arrives off the coast of, of the Chathams, the first European to discover the Chathams, or, or Rekohu, and he named it the Chathams after his brig. Um, you know, Moriori, uh, for all intents and purposes, they were alone in the world. Uh, they didn't have um, knowledge of, of any other, or contact. They hadn't had contact with any other peoples uh, for hundreds of years, so you know, Rekohu who was their pretty much their universe, and they thought when they saw this ship on the horizon and they got closer, they they called these people the Sun People because they came out of the you know must have been um, the you know sailing out of the sun, yeah. and so they were known as the, the Sun People um, to them. But um, as sort of British did where, wherever they went. In the Pacific, they marked their stay by killing one of the natives, you know, claiming the land and buggering off, um, you know, as and and then asserting that they were the first discoverers. Uh, but as an actual fact, all they've discovered is that the islands had already previously been discovered and settled hundreds of years before. Uh, and this is the thing about colonisation. It's always whether it's English doing it to Māori or Māori doing it to Moriori, those who have colonised always believe they are the, the the superior culture. And and so the Brits um, and the French and everyone else who arrived in New Zealand believed they were superior to, to Māori and Māori believed they were superior to Moriori. It's just, a, it's not a, a skin colour thing, it's just a human, um, you know, the, 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 the darker side of, of human nature. Mm. Um, wanting to assert one's dominance over, you know, another group of humans. Yeah, I mean, you can go back through the last oh, hundred thousand years of human history just to look at the migration patterns of people around the world and different nations and different races of people dominating others. And it's just, it's just, you're right. It's just the darker side of, of uh, it's a human tragedy, really. Just, it's, it's a, we're cursed with it. I think. 
I think uh, just a testament to you to the um, the Moriori living on uh, Rikoko. Is that right? Did I pronounce that right? Rikoko. Uh, Rikuku. 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 Um, Rikuku. Rikuku. <laughs> I'm going to stuff this. I'm so sorry. It's K O H U. Rikuku. And um, I'll, I'll promise I'll practice that. Um, and the, the fact that you guys had lived in peace for so long on the Chatham Islands and then just had that completely disrupted, I think it's a, a shame, but it's also just a, it's more evidence, I think, of, of the human condition. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, this is the thing that impressed me about my ancestors, about Moriori and, and what was one of the determining factors is that a people who had been so vilified, to use Michael King's um, phrase, he said, no people have been more vilified in human history than than Moriori. Mm. And um, or few others would have been as vilified as Moriori, and he's quite right. And to think that here in, you know, as a people on this island who had successfully lived in peace for five or six, well now 600 years um, and evolved, you know, a way of living in this landscape um, for so for so long without the taking of human life and then to describe those people as weak and inferior, um, to me that just did not resonate. And, um, you know, there had to be New Zealand holding itself out to the world as, you know, the upholder of values of peace and and um, and that sort of thing. And yet right on our doorstep, you know, we have a, a people that are part of New Zealand who have been completely ignored in the historical narrative, except as a doormat. Um, and so when people in New Zealand want to talk about Indigenous peace traditions, invariably they talk about Parihaka in Taranaki. I don't know if you've heard of Parihaka, but, you know, that's... Uh, and, and, you know, their, their peace tradition started, they had a pacifist resistance to the colonial militia who, who invaded Parihaka in the 1860s. But, you know, Moriuri had been, peace tradition had been around 500 years before that, um, long before Gandhi, long before Martin Luther King, long before... We have this people of peace on these islands, which are part of New Zealand, but just because it's an inconvenient truth, being buried. And so it's really only in the last three or four decades that a little bit of light has begun to shine again on that part of our nation's history. And, and I've said this to journalists and, and, and articles that I've written, that you know, it's a stain on the conscience of our, conscience of our nation, what happened to Moriori. And, um, you know, the Crown have taken some steps to acknowledge that with the um, initialing or the signing of the, the deed of settlement, mm -hmm. which happened in February of this year. But there's still a very long way to go before, you know, Moriori are truly acknowledged uh, within the matrix and narrative of, of New Zealand um, history. So what, so on that vein, I guess, what's the, because 
there would have been a lot of language and culture lost, I imagine, with the a lot of the suppression that happened. The um, and so, what are some of the steps that you're having to take, or is there any is there anything is there stuff that's permanently lost, or is there just is there you know is there things that you can you can bring back in terms of culture and language? Well, the last the last fluent speakers of um, today, Moriori died in 1900, 1902, um, and therefore, you know, it hasn't been spoken for over 100 years, not fluently, yeah. and and they probably wouldn't have been, they would have mostly been fluent, but their language would have been influenced by Taranaki Māori dialect and by English, but there's a lot that was written down by... Um, uh, various missionaries and Alexander Shand, who was a, um, a farmer down here, but also a, a self-taught historian, and he collaborated quite closely with Hirawana Tapu, who was one of our Moriori. Well, without Tapu, a lot of knowledge we we have on Moriori today would not exist. Wow, uh, plain and simple. So there's a lot of written sources of Moriori language that we are seeking to to revive through um, karaki, prayers, rongo, songs. We're working on an, a language app. Um, we are taking steps to revive as much of the language as we possibly can. Uh, probably 50%, 60% is similar to, to Maori language um, and you know, 40, 50% is, is quite unique, but has similarities, the same vowel sounds and, and so forth. So um, it, it may be in, in a few more, one or two or three generations, we may have fluent speakers of Tere Moriuri once more. And personally, that would be, people have asked me, you know, what would you like to, to see happen in the future? as far as Moriuri is concerned, and I'd love to see our people being able to speak our language once again on on our own marae here on the island and elsewhere. So we're, we're taking small steps. We're incorporating some of our own, um, you know, phrases and, and terms like, for example, um, instead of saying morena, we say, which is Māori for good morning, we say atapanupanu, which means a sparkling dawn. Wow, I prefer um, that. <laughs> I much prefer and, that. <laughs> and instead of kiora, we have kioranga, and and things like that. So yep. we're we're bringing back our own um, terms and phrases and and kuku or words, um, even reclaiming names of of plants such such as. You know, the Chatham Island Akiaki is a well-known tree, but the Moriuri name is Hakapiti. And so just through, you know, we, we Susan and I have started using, my wife and I, we use Hakapiti now all the time. And Hakapiti means literally a tree that clings tenaciously to the, to the soil, to the land. And if you, if you knew the, the Chatham Island, this tree we're talking about, it's perfectly named. Um, but because the language has fallen into disrepair and disuse, a lot of names from New Zealand have been put onto 
native plants and animals. So things like that, that since we've been living on the island over the last 10 years, we're reclaiming um, names, uh, including, you know, Rikohu is now becoming more recognised because the Māori name for the Chathams is Whakakauri, and, of course, the English name is Chatham Island, so it has actually three names. Right. Um, but most Māori know the Chathams as Whakakauri, and but more and more now they're starting to use Rekohu because Whakakauri was actually uh, not a name for the island. It was a name of a, a village in the north part of the island, but Māori chose Whakakauri over Rekohu. And um, just little things like that. Mm. And, for example, the Waitangi Tribunal report which came out in 2001, and that's something you might want to have a look up online as well, the Rekohu report, that's what the tribunal called it, Rekohu. And when I saw that name on the front page of that report, it made my heart sing yeah. because I knew that, that that the message had got through, you know? Yeah, we're starting to submit, yeah. Essentially... What we've been saying is that we're reclaiming our identity as a people and just names are so important, language is so important to one's identity. Do you think that, that with, the, um, with, with that coming out, that, do you feel like that was the, one of the biggest moments for you that you felt like, ah, oh, this is actually working, this is, this is, you know, where this is, this is the way forward? I wouldn't say it was the the biggest one. It's, it's, there's been a whole number of, of things. And, and I, you know, 1987, um, I was 27, I made a list of things that I, I was determined to do to um, uphold, you know, and to honour my Moriori ancestors because that's what it's really been about is to honour the ancestors. And, and I made a list. Um, one was to... Uh, file a claim in the Waitangi Tribunal. One was to have the claim heard and reported on. Another was to, to um, build a marae, buy back land, those sorts of things. So there's been, um, there's sort of been a progression of of events and highlights. I'd say probably the biggest highlight in terms of our renaissance as a people was the opening of Kopinga Marae in 2005. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when we had the Prime Minister of New Zealand, so we had the Crown and we had the two um, probably aristocrats of Māoridom, the Māori Queen and um, uh, Te Tumu Te Hihu, um, from Tupari Tor came down and Māori chiefs and um, elders from all over New Zealand came to acknowledge Moriori. So we had Māoridom, the Crown, and local Chatham Islanders, and of course our own people. So when we opened that marae, uh, Kupinga marae in January 2005, that was probably the biggest highlight um, because it established our credentials and we had our own place to meet our ancestors took centre stage and they do in the marae they're on that central post in the house um, and just the, the whole energy and the positivity that was created on that day um, you know was, was really fantastic there have been a, 
a huge number of highlights, really, um, over the past 30 years, but for me, that would be one of the biggest. And then the signing of our deed of settlement in February of this year, that was that was a big event too, but um, uh, for our people generally. But for me, it's the opening of Kupinga Marae. Wow. And so where to from now? Well, we're, we're, uh, we're planting trees. <laughs> we're, we're, we've got to um, give back to the land, and so we've got an application in to plant 1.5 million trees on, on Moriori land that we've brought back. Mm-hmm. We want to be better custodians of the land that's been degraded over the last 200 years. So, you know, that's our obligation as traditional traditional custodians and guardians of the land is to give back to the land, not just take from it. Um, to revive our, uh, our language um, and, and to, you know, we've got a lot of the hardware now. We need more of the software and that's the intellectual side of things. So that's the language, that's the cultural practices, that's learning the songs and, and the prayers and and those sorts of things, that the tikani, the protocols and the customs. Um, and, um, yeah, my wife has just said to have a look at our YouTube um, channel um, and because there's a lot of information on there as well. Yep. So, yeah, we've got a lot of projects going on. Um, and, you know, so the cultural side is going to be certainly of, of more increasing importance because we've been at the fight over the last 30 years is to establish a beachhead and get resources and get land back um, and to build up our capacity. And now over the next, you know, um, few decades we'll be really building up our people resource and instilling our people with the knowledge and the um, learning about you know, their culture and, and learning to speak the language again and, and getting our people home, you know, encouraging more of our people to, to come back to their kohu because we're a minority on our own island mm. um, because of the diaspora that occurred. And, um, you know, there's been, there are still pockets of resistance from some Māori here on the island who, you know, would still have it that Moriori are slaves and that they are our masters. Um, and this was being played out through the, you know, the treaty settlement negotiations where, you know, Ngāti Mutunga um, negotiators were saying, well, the Crown can't give any land back to Moriori because we conquered them and they've got no, they've got no mana or no power or authority anymore over their own lands. We have it all. And, and this kind of, um, you know, Luddite thinking mm. is, which belongs in the 18th century, is still being played out in some pockets here on, on the island today. So, um, But, I, of course, yeah. you know, and the Crown, actually, um, they don't accept it, but they were still bending over backwards to try and accommodate some of those extremist views. And we said, look, you know, we've suffered enough. We've swallowed enough dead rats over the years. We're not swallowing any more. Um, so you better just do the right thing. And you think doing the right thing, particularly when the Crown have uh, a, 
a 300-page tribunal report which completely vindicates Moriori, it would be very, it would be one of the most straightforward claims the Crown's ever settled in the history of treaty negotiations, but they made it so difficult, so, so difficult, um, because it's still, in, in many ways, Moriori is still an inconvenient truth in this country. So, you know, we've, we've made progress, but we've had to fight so hard to, to accomplish it but I guess, in uh, in a way, it's made us stronger as a people as a result. It's hardened our resolve, but not our hearts. So, I, I guess on 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 topic with all of this sort of with what, exactly with what you're talking about, what is it that we can sort of learn um, and go forward with in terms of? <sighs> minority cultures going forward and, and what, what can we learn um, about how to respect this and just how to approach these sorts of situations and what, what, I guess what can we learn from it going forward? Mm. I, I think for Moriori or for any small you know, minority culture is that there's always, there is always something you can learn from another people, from another culture no matter how tiny that culture is and, and you know, what Moriori achieved here on, on these islands, I think was quite remarkable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are lessons for the rest of the world, perhaps, um, on how humans can live together without killing one another. Uh, and... You know, there wasn't just one homogenous group of people here. There were a number of different tribes. And, and there was war between those tribes. But an ancestor came amongst the warring factions and brought that to an end and said, no more. From this day forward, there shall be no more war, no more taking of human life. If you wish to fight, as, as you know, if there's conflict, as there always will be, you can fight with wooden staff. First abrasion of skin, fighting is deceased, honour satisfied, thou shalt not kill. Um, and that was the law that they observed for 500 years. But they also had developed a respect and, and working, you know, living with nature on these islands as well. So I think that's the first thing. The, the other thing would be um, never to give up hope. Mm. And if you look at the... Um, the story of, of Moriori revival and renaissance, you know, my ancestors, many of them gave up hope and died, but there were still enough people like Hirawana Tapu and Kochi and others who could see that there would be a time in the future when Moriori uh, would, you know, there, there would be a, um, like, like the phoenix rising from the ashes and, and left enough um, you know, um, beacons along that, that runway, along that pathway for us to follow. And, um, uh, you know, so there were those Moriori who never gave up hope and, and we've, um, you yeah, know, that's probably one of the strongest um, things that I take away from, from this is one should always, um, it should never give up fighting for what you believe in. Yeah, yeah, I, com I completely agree. I just, I, I'm just completely astounded and I, I just shocked. And I'm, 
pleased as well. I'm just so eternally pleased that you that you yourself and your team around you, what you're doing and what you've achieved so far. And I'm I'm so hopeful uh, on that last match. I'm just so hopeful for the next generations coming up, um, and in all of New Zealand, just being able to, you know, better understand our history so that we can better go forward into the future as, as a more peaceful um, bunch of people just like collectively all of us together can just do things just a little bit better than we did yesterday I, I think for me that's definitely the goal yeah I, I think that's I think that's right Karen and and um, you know when when people come to Kupinga Marae our, our Marae is different from Māori Marae uh, our protocols um, and even Māori who come here they they love coming to Kupinga. Some feel challenged because our, our customs and traditions are quite quite different. We mm-hmm. allow women to speak, for example, on the, or we don't allow them. Women are entitled to speak on our marae, whereas on most Māori marae back in New Zealand, they can't. But we, um, although a lot was lost of the, the culture, the language, a lot of the values have remained. And we are breathing new life into those values at Kupinga Marae, and when people come into that space, they immediately feel that. Mm. They feel that peacefulness. They feel that warmth. They're well-fed. They're well-looked after. Um, they, you know, they want to keep coming back, and, and that's important because they're markers of who you are as a people, your values. If it's just a theoretical or an intellectual exercise, then it's pointless. Yeah. But if when people come into that space and they we share with them and they share with us, and if you know we we spend time together, um, they leave feeling fulfilled, um, and so do we. And and that's that's really important. Those those things are really really important as markers of who you are as people and, and kindness. Um, that's not to say that, you know, we we don't have and we have had and will have internal conflicts even amongst in our little tribe. But, you know, and, and I've even had some of our members say to me over the years in the midst of different, you know, petty pop political squabbles that have been going on, well, aren't we supposed to be a people of peace? I said, well, we are. Um, and our ancestors were, but they also understood a, a key lesson in life that whenever you have two human beings together, there's going to be conflict. How do you manage that conflict? That's the key thing. How do you manage it without doing um, long-lasting damage, such as taking someone's life? And for them, in their day, it was fighting until first blood was drawn and then fighting was deceased. So how do we today manage conflict and what do we do with that um, and so you know peace is an aspiration to be continually striven to achieve we might not always achieve it but the point is don't stop trying to achieve it that's actually really well put um, I've, but, I've never really thought of it uh, like that before when people talk about peace uh, around the world and you, you often think about peace of being something like well to stop fighting, just stop fighting, you know. But it's it's so true that that if you put two human beings together, there will be conflict, 
And so the true mm. true peace is not so much is the, the the eradication of fighting. It's the management of the of the conflict and how you manage that peacefully. That's really well put. Mm. Yeah, peace peace is a is an action. You know, mm. it, it, you you've got to actively work, keep working towards peace and peace within yourself, peace with the other person, peace as a community. You know, it's, it's something that we've got to actively think about every single day of our lives. Um, not, not just, it's not just an absence of something. It's actually one must actively work towards being more peaceful, whether it's with humans, with, with our planet, with fellow species, other species on the planet, whatever it might be. Um, and, and, you know, it's not just between humans especially at this stage with climate change and those sorts of things, we're being most unpeaceful towards our planet at the present time. Yeah, well, it's actually even at this current state of the world as well, it's actually getting a lot worse. So, like, even here in Australia, we were doing a really good job. You know, the the country was doing great at uh, getting better at waste management in terms of rubbish and recycling and uh, a lot of waste management with food. But ever since the yep. pandemic um, started up, uh, because fear takes over, people sort of. The, I read a statistic recently that the single use plastic in Australia um, since March has gone up 300%, which is. Wow. It's a staggering amount. Just, it just. I don't know. And, you know, oh. it's just. It's pretty heartbreaking when I look around and. Uh, I mean, I spend a lot of water, a lot of time in the water, um, and all I, I remember once I went uh, <clears throat> went uh, diving for scallops with a friend of mine, and I started off the dive with going under the pier that we were diving under and the the area that we were diving under. I went looking for mussels to start with, and I went down with my mussel bag and then just saw just fields of rubbish and I just started picking up rubbish and I'd filled up my, my muscle bag <laughs> by the end, you know, within a couple of minutes and I'm just looking down just below me just thinking, oh my God, there's just yeah, a sea it's of bad, rubbish. It? It's just it's horrendous and, and, and to think that yeah. it's getting worse, it's like I, I totally feel like people are losing that, that battle within themselves just to mitigate the rubbish that mm. we're using and the waste that we're creating. That is, for me, that is the greatest threat that we that we pose to ourselves is just sweet yeah. uh, you know the waste it's horrendous whereabouts are you based Karen? i'm just in melbourne in victoria oh okay i've got my uh, grandson in, in uh, melbourne oh really um yes melbourne. yes and, and actually <laughs> he was um I was there in September last year and, and uh, had quite a serious accident to my heel. I smashed my heel bone playing tag with him and his cousin. So I'm still <laughs> from that. Yeah. Tags are, tags are um, terribly <laughs> physical games sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so I was, I was, he was supposed to uh, come out and visit me in April, but then mm. the COVID lockdown happened, so... Um, I try and get him over to the Chathams every year, so he's got a sense of, you know, he's only just turned six in April, so um, he's been here a couple of times and loves it over here. So you know, just trying to get him a, a sense of growing up with with knowing his Moriori heritage and identity and and you know connecting 
connecting to the land. Like I buried his placenta up here on the hill where we'll be uh, on our ancestral land. And all of those things are important as, you know, um, like he might live in Australia wherever he lives, but he knows his spiritual um, place is here. And uh, anyway, yeah, so maybe if I come over sometime, we'll be able to hook up. That would be uh, fantastic. I would actually love at some point to head over to the Chathams. I uh, need to explore more of New Zealand and its islands. I feel very void of that in my life. I, I try to spend, I try to explore as much as I can. I'm quite a curious natured person and uh, I've spent, I spent a lot of time on the South you. Island and the Stewart Island as well. And um, But yeah. I, what's the, is there surf in the Chatham? Oh, there's there's great surf right out um, right out. Well, I'm I'm looking at it right now, oh, but don't um, <laughs> you don't get many surfs down here, probably for a good reason, Kieran. Oh yeah, you got to um, yeah. They're they're about three or four meters long with great big five rows of teeth. Uh, jaws. That's uh, we've got yeah. the same problem here in Victoria. Yeah, but uh, wow, yeah. I, I, I uh, I'm a I'm a Big, big surfer. I quite, uh, I do love it, and uh, that's wherever I sort of yeah. tend to go in the world. I'm like always checking out Google Maps or checking out some local forums to yeah. see if there's any surf kicking about. Oh, we got some beautiful surf right out. Um, it's, there's not much surf here. I'm just looking from our lounge window out because <laughs> you know we're about a couple of hundred meters from the sea, and you, you know it's just a magnificent. But sometimes you get the big curling breakers coming in, and uh, yeah, there's there's some great surfing spots here. I, I imagine you'll see me there in the not too distant future. Surfboarding. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Surf oh, well, and, keep in touch. Yeah, most definitely. Well, I th- I just for, I just finally just want to say I I deeply appreciate you taking the time out of your life, your incredibly hectic schedule. I'm so sure to just re-educate myself and uh, and in turn re-educate some people that are listening and uh, or not even re-educate, just educate full stop some people that are listening. Um, I, I yeah, deeply appreciate it. and uh, I'm, I'm You're welcome, Kieran. It, it's always, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, I, I suppose it's a duty, but it's also a pleasure to be able to, um, you know, help with that uh, educational process. It's, it's a responsibility that I, I accept, to to get the story of Moriori out there, and um, so I'm 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 pleased that you um, made contact and and um, grateful that you did. Yeah, and, just... and actually to to um, to have that connection back to your grandma, I think that's pretty special too, um, because she was a yeah I, I I she was a very good teacher. I was very fond of. Mrs. Laurie, I could never call her by her first name. <laughs> no, She'll always be Mrs. Laurie to me. I would never be allowed to call her by her first name either. That'd be the, think my, <laughs> my mother would have given me a good wooden spoon. She was spoon. very strict, but <laughs> yeah, she, she was here. Yeah. yeah. No, she yeah. was lovely. I, I, uh, I, sp- I spent a lot of time with her and my grandfather in, in Tamuka at their place and oh, going to the uh, going to the Tamuka Park there and seeing the parrots in the, in the aviary cages and stuff like that. And I knew that you say that because that's where she used to take us as kids was to the aviary and to the, um, yeah, there used to be a little dove uh, post. I don't yeah. know there now, but, yeah, she used to take us. I think I said that in my, uh, in my email, but yeah, to I, the swimming pool and 
Yeah, I remember one of the parrots. I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure it was a, a cockatoo. I can't remember what one of the parrots used to speak. He used to spend hour minutes just trying to get this bird to speak, and occasionally it would say something. It was really funny. Mm. Yeah, it was a cool spot. Um, so yeah, I'm just uh, again, yeah, just incredibly grateful to have sat down for you with you for roughly an hour and and chat and just and uh, you've definitely opened some doors for me, and and I'll. I'll definitely be uh telling people a different history a different past of new zealand as well to what to what it was that i i knew growing up so mm. thank you so much no you're most welcome and uh please enjoy your the rest of your wonderful day uh looking out at the at the ocean <laughs> and uh and yeah, you're, i'm just and, about to go out actually and um take the dogs for a walk and i've got a bit of work to finish off i'm, I'm building up a nursery here for growing um, native plants for planting out so that's my next um, little job after talking to you wow well yeah beautiful sounds like the idyllic life well <laughs> it's not too bad <laughs> not too bad perfect brother thanks so much for taking your time and uh, okay and I thanks. look forward to nice speaking to you in future okay bye bye thank Let you bye bye